Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today at First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from Luke chapter 6, beginning in the 27th verse and continuing through the 36th verse. Please read along in your bulletin or in your pew Bible as I read aloud. But I say to you, hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. You may have noticed that on communion Sundays, those Sundays we approach the Lord's table, in the bulletin it says that I call my communion Sunday sermons meditations. Now that's not just code for a shorter sermon, although I'm sure that would be appreciated. <laughs> Rather, it's a prompt to get us thinking about God's word in a different way, in a very purposeful way. You know, lately I keep returning to that sweet verse from the Christmas story that when the shepherds told Mary what they had seen and what the angels had told them about the birth of Jesus, that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What does the Lord want us to ponder in our hearts as we come to his table today? I believe that it's this verse. From our scripture reading, verse 36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus several times tells both his critics and his friends to meditate and to ponder this concept of mercy. He says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For some time, Jesus had been traveling all over Galilee, healing people, setting them free from demonic power, teaching them about the true nature of God's law, and declaring that the kingdom of God was at hand. And Luke tells us that everywhere he went, these tremendous crowds followed him. 
And at one point, while walking across this huge coastal plain, Jesus stopped and decided to seize this great teachable moment. Now let me ask, if you had the opportunity to make a single speech that could potentially change the world, what would you choose as your topic? In this speech, which history records as his Sermon on the Plain, Jesus chose to talk about mercy. Not about politics, not about economics, not about philosophy, but mercy. Now the word itself should make us think. The Greek word here is oiktirman. Oiktirman. And the root word is the same as the root word for house. Ois. Excuse me, oik. Not oink, but oik. O-I-K. In other words, the root of this word mercy is rooted in the idea of home. And the question is, when it comes to mercy, are you going to take someone in and welcome them into your home as one of the family, welcoming them at your table, or are you going to leave them hungry, leave them suffering and exposed outside in the cold? Are you going to expel them and kick them out or disown them into the darkness and death of exile? Are you going to kick them to the curb or are you going to keep them as part of the family? Those are the questions of mercy. Those are the questions of oiktermon. Now, as we look at mercy, Jesus' definition is this. Jesus gave us some things to think about as we ponder this concept of mercy. First, he defines what mercy is not. He says that our world expects us to live by what we call a quid pro quo, the quid pro quo principle, which is Latin for this for that. Quid pro quo, this for that. In other words, if you do this for me, I will do that for you. If you do that to me, then I will do that to you. By contrast, Jesus says what mercy is. In verse 31, he says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. In other words, because that's what I would want you to do for me, that's what I'm going to do for you. So ask yourself this. If the situation was reversed, how would you like to be treated? Now the answer, if we're honest with ourselves, will be that if, if I were in your shoes or if this situation were, were reversed, how would I want you to respond to me? The answer, if we're true to ourselves, will always be mercifully. None of us really want to get what we deserve, do we? None of us are going to say, I really wish you would treat me ruthlessly or coldly or indifferently. I'd rather you treat me mercifully. And then Jesus described mercy in action. And we have to understand that mercy is not just one thing. He points first to mercy as forgiveness. 
But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So mercy on one facet is forgiveness. Then he points to mercy as generosity. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. That's generosity, not indifference. And you have to think about that as we, as a community, as a country, continue to struggle with issues of justice and poverty and race and crime and all of these other things. Homelessness, abandonment, all of these things. How do we want people to respond? And he points to generosity. But Jesus doesn't just define mercy. He gives us a description And in a series of couplets, he shows us the difference between mercy and enmity. That is the state of being an enemy with a person. He says this, do good instead of hate. Bless instead of curse. Pray for people instead of abusing them. Show courage and endurance, nonviolence instead of violence. Choose generosity. In other words, give more instead of being defiant and refusing. Choose release instead of revenge or retribution or repayment. Respond the way you would want people to respond to you instead of the way you would not want people to respond to you. And so he describes mercy, but then he goes one step farther and he gives us not only a description but a depiction of what mercy looks like. Because I want you to look carefully at those first verses again. If you look carefully at those verses you will see that Jesus is not describing some abstract state or abstract list of propositions. You ought to do this. He's actually describing exactly what was going to happen to him. Because look at those verses. He himself was cursed and abused by the religious leaders. He was slandered at his trial. He himself was struck, punched in the mouth but he didn't fight back. The soldiers took away his cloak and he never demanded it back, even when they were gambling for it. He didn't say, hey, that's mine. The thief begged him for salvation and he gave him eternal life in spite of all of his crimes. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And to the soldiers who took away everything, including his life, He asked not for retribution or repayment or revenge, but he asked for mercy, praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Here in these verses, Jesus gives us not only an example of mercy, but his example of mercy paradox of mercy is that if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love him, them. We have to remember that mercy is not a quid pro quo, this for that. Rather, mercy is quid pro bono. That is to say, instead of this for that, I'm going to do this for your benefit. I'm going to do this for you 
quid pro quo is if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. If you do that to me, I'll do that to you. But mercy is that he did that for me. And because he did that for me, I'm going to do this for you. It's not about getting back what you're owed. It's about paying it forward. Because this is what I want you to do for me. I'm going to do this for you. And because he did that for me, I'm going to do this for you. So mercy is not quid pro quo. It's prid quo pro bono. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. He does say that there is a return on mercy. He says, love your enemies and do good and, lay, and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And listen to this, and you will be sons of the most high. The return on mercy is a relationship, a restored relationship with the people with whom that relationship is broken and a restored relationship with our Father in heaven. But here's the catch about mercy. And here's what we really have to ponder. Mercy is only necessary when things get ugly. It's only necessary when situations get out of hand. Mercy is only necessary when the sin is real. It's necessary when people fail or when people get hurt, including you, when your heart is broken or when people are betrayed or when people are broken or when people are rude. You know, this past week, I was flying back from a conference in California, and our flight got canceled, and I was standing in line, and there were these two women standing behind me. And one of them asked me, says, do you remember the, the name of the flight number that we were just on? And I, I started to pull it up on my phone, and the lady right behind me said, don't give it to her. She's trying to book a new flight, and she's going to jump ahead of you in the line. And the other one says, oh my gosh, that's so shallow. The other one says, well, we're all trying to get home. And I'm like, you can do that on your phone? <laughs> but I was sitting there thinking, who does that? How rude is that? That's like saying, if somebody comes up to you and says, have you got the time? Nope, I do not. I'm not going to read my watch for you. I'm not going to do this simple, costless thing for you. But sadly, don't we see that all the time? Don't we see it all the time? That mercilessness, that ruthlessness, even in our everyday lives. Here's what we have to ponder. How should we respond when we see people and when we feel people, when we are the victims of people acting really badly? What does everyday mercy look like? I'll confess that right now, these situations provoke more questions than answers. There's often no playbook for these types of situations. What does mercy look like when you or someone else has been hurt? What does mercy look like when justice, when justice is necessary or holiness needs to be maintained? What does mercy look like when you're responsible for the safety and the health and the well-being of other people? It, what does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us as a nation? What does it mean for us as members of a community? 
Showing mercy is actually one of the most radical countercultural things that we can do because we live in a world of quid pro quo. What situation needs your mercy right now? Who needs your mercy right now? Who needs you right now to treat him or to treat her as you would hope to be treated? What does everyday mercy look like? What does it look like for a parent? What does it look like for a spouse, for an employer, for a friend? What does it look like as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a brother or sister, a member of the body of Christ? Again, ponder this, beloved. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Think about that. What does that mean? Jesus was quoting from the prophecy of Hosea, which says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I don't think it means that Jesus doesn't want us to give up things for other people. It's not that Jesus doesn't want us to give up what we want. It's that God wants us to look more and more like his son. You see, God doesn't want payoffs or superficial ritualistic tokens. The sacrifice that he wants you to make is to give yourself up first to him and then for one another and then for others. The sacrifice he wants from us is our mercy paid forward. So what does mercy look like when you're God? It looks like Jesus. Who though, in the form, uh, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, Jesus doesn't ignore our pain or brokenness and suffering. And he doesn't kick us to the curb when we sin. Instead, he got down into the mud and the blood and the mess and stress of our lives to show us mercy. So often our reaction to people and to situations that we don't like is to get them away from us or to get as far away from them as we can. To move away from them or move them away from us. But Jesus' reaction is to move toward them. And his reaction is to bring them to his table. This table is an illustration of mercy. The foundation of Christian mercy is gratitude. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, you may not consider yourself evil. I don't consider myself evil. I maybe should, but have I been ungrateful? Yes. What mercy has the Lord 
shown me. The apostle Paul wrote, excuse me, the apostle John wrote, we love because he first loved us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives, that is, be merciful for one another. Where does that kind of mercy come from? Again, we have to look to the, to the word itself and to its root. The root of mercy is oikos. It means house. We can be merciful because God has kept us in his house. We can be merciful because we have received mercy. We can endure all things. We can stand all things. We can afford to be generous. We can do all of this because we live in the identity and the security and the relationship and the comfort and abundance of the household of God. Enmity does what it does because of a scarcity of security and comfort and identity and relationship, but we live in the family of God as his adopted children, in the oikos of God. And therefore, we have everything and more than what we need, not only now, but for eternity. We can have mercy because God did not kick us out when he had every reason to. So how far do we go in giving mercy? Here's the good news. There is a limit to the mercy that you have to give. You don't have to go any farther than Jesus did. We don't have to go any farther than the cross. Jesus would not ask us to do anything he would not do. As a matter of fact, he's not asking us to do anything he didn't already do. Jesus always goes first. And then when we don't have the strength to bear mercy ourselves, we turn to God and we pray the mercy prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This table is a reminder that we love, that we love because God first loved us. We, so, we show mercy because mercy came first from him. The gospel is not quid pro quo, it is mercy. It's not about doing this to get that, to gain our salvation. It's about what Jesus did for us, for our salvation. He did that so that we could have this. Mercy is not about weakness or passivity. Mercy requires enough strength to carry not only your own burdens, but the burdens of others. Mercy requires enough strength to endure all kinds of provocations and attacks and yet still hold your ground like rocks on the seashore constantly pounded by the waves. The waves can break against you all day long, but in the security of God's oikos, you do not move. Mercy is different. Mercy is different. Mercy is unusual. Mercy is weird. But because it's different, it gets people's attention. And when it gets people's attention, they become curious. 
And if they become curious, they might just start asking questions. So beloved, meditate on this, ponder this, learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today because we are people in need of your mercy. We are people in need of your truth and your love. We're people in need of your patience. And Lord, we are people in need of your presence. So now, O oh God, call us to your table as you have always done. And welcome us into the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. As God has been merciful to you, be merciful. Why do we come to this table? We come to this table to remember that Jesus showed the mercy of God by allowing himself to be killed on our behalf. His blood poured out, his body hung upon a cross so that we would understand God's commitment to us and his true mercy. And so we come to this table because it is a reminder that on the very night, knowing everything he did about us, knowing that he would be betrayed on the very night that he was beaten and bruised and slandered the day before, the night before he would be hung on a cross, in all of that, Jesus still came before his disciples and said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do this. Give up my body. Give up my blood. I'm going to do this so that you can have that eternal life. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to merit God's favor. There's nothing we can do to meet his forgiveness or the requirements of his forgiveness. All we can do is accept it. And we come to this table to remember that Jesus gave his real body and his real blood for our very real sins. But we come to this table to remember that he did that for us. Not simply so that we would receive this gift, but so that we, in turn, pay it forward and share it with others. And that's why we come to this table, this joyful feast of the people of God, to remember that we have been shown mercy, a mercy that we do not deserve, a mercy that we don't even understand. And yet, it is the gift of God that he has given us. And he reminds us with this real bread and this real cup that we can feel in our real hands to remind us of the reality of all that he's done. So beloved, come to this table. Not to check a box or to fulfill a requirement, 
but to receive his grace. Come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. We don't come to this table because we're, because we're worthy. We come because we're invited, and we're not invited because we are perfect. We come because we are forgiven. So come. This is his table. This is the proof of his mercy. And it is for you. Let us pray. God of mercy and grace, it is our joy to give you thanks and praise for the faithful in every age who have followed your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. From every tongue and every race, you have gathered them and us into your kingdom. You have shown us your mercy on the cross. You have gathered us into your oikos, the security of your household. You have shown us the path of life and filled us with your gifts from your Holy Spirit and best of all, the joy of your presence in our life. Your holy, O God of mercy, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Sent to be our Savior, he took our flesh and dwelt among us full of mercy and grace and truth. He is our risen Lord forever. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and cup from the gifts you have given us, and we celebrate with joy and remembrance the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for others, God our Savior, claiming your mercy and love in Jesus Christ and committing ourselves to care for one another in need. We pray for people who are ill or recovering from surgery. We pray for people who are homeless or hungry. Show them your mercy and provide them with a safe place to live and food that fills their bellies. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We pray for those who are struggling with mental health issues. Pray for people in our congregation who are struggling with addiction. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and cup that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit, unite us with all believers that we might recognize our unity in Jesus, our baptism in his name, and our oneness in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out into the, to the world to be his mercy. Give us the strength to serve you faithfully, and to the promised day of resurrection, and with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your table in glory. We pray in the strong and mighty, merciful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As it was given unto me, so now I give it unto you, that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he sat at table with his disciples, and after supper... He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. 
These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared and he is calling for you.